is Together for the Gospel joining the social justice warrior movement? We'll find out in this episode. This is Matthew Garnett. Welcome to In Layman's Terms. As pastors of churches, worshiping communities, who gather together with our congregations every week to sing our songs and give our offerings to God above us, have we been, or are we now, slow to speak and work against racial injustice around us? And I am convinced the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Okay, normally I enjoy the Together for the Gospel conference, not Lutherans. They are mostly Reformed Baptists and a, and a few Presbyterians like Ligon Duncan. Generally speaking, it's very good, uh, especially Ligon Duncan's uh, sermons are, are excellent. I think he understands the proper distinction between law and gospel just about better than, than anyone who speaks at these conferences, and so he gives good sermons. And they're always very uh, good uh, they're more like Bible studies, really, more than, than sermons. And, and there's there's good insight there, uh, as long as you kind of know what you're listening for. But this year, in a couple of the sermons, it seems like this was thematic of T4G. I haven't listened to all the sermons or all the sessions, but but racism seemed to be a, of particular concern this year. And kind of spearheading all of this is a speaker called David Platt, who gave a lecture on racism uh, called let justice roll down like waters and this is a little alarming now racism is something the church should be concerned about it's a sin that we should preach against and it's a sin we all struggle with from time to time that pastors and preachers need to address and churches need to address denominations need to address these things however it seems like the approach they're taking is the social justice advocacy approach which I would fundamentally disagree with. This is this is a an area of American culture and society of which I'm particularly passionate about. This is something that has bothered me a long time. It's one reason I went to Claremont. It's one reason I became a liberal in in some ways is because I thought, you know, this is really the stuff we need to be worried about. And so I need to go join the people who seem to be most worried about it. And so I went to Claremont. Where where else would you go? Uh, you know, we I went to the Claremont School of Theology, but yet you've got Claremont McKenna right there, the, the Claremont Colleges, and they're all very active on these things. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about what direction Together for the Gospel is going on these things, because if they're going to go the way of the social justice warriors, this is going to be a major problem for Together for the Gospel. This this will, it'll tear it apart. I can promise you it will tear it apart. They're they're just not going to go here. And I'll show you why that is. I think a lot of people have a, a visceral reaction to this sort of thing. Their their politics in general just kind of prevent them from going there. They tend to, People tend to be ideological. So if, they, if they're conservative, Republican, they're going to have a problem with this just on a basic level, on an ideological level. They're not going to be able to really explain to you why. But I'm going to explain to you why this is not a good direction to go. And some people are going to understand this at Together for the Gospel. A lot of smart people at Together for the Gospel, a lot of very well-informed people at Together for the Gospel. So they're going to understand this. And then again, you're just going to have the ideologues who aren't going to go for this just because they're not going to go for it because it doesn't jive with their ideology. Okay, um, So you're going to have all kinds of problems with this. Now, if, if there's a, an issue at hand like racism and somebody's ideology is such that it, it necessitates them being racist then this is something that needs to be addressed, but you have to address their ideology. You have to present things in a way that dismantles their ideology. That's the only way to do it. Sometimes there is need for division. Division, 
on things. And if you can't come to an agreement on important subjects like racism, then maybe the thing should fall apart. But I would hate to see Together for the Gospel be divided in basically three sections uh, because people are misinformed on this. And this is a very misinformed lecture, in my opinion. At least I hope it is misinformed. And, and David Platt, who gives this lecture, isn't actually advocating for this consciously. All right, so we're going to go through all that. But first, before we do, I want to mention the Kenya Well Project. We've got a couple of things in the hopper for that, and I've got to talk to the people that have donated so far. We've got a couple of really unique opportunities that I can't announce yet. Got to get permission from the people who've already given, uh, but I'm in the process of doing that. In the meantime, please still continue to give your $50 to the Kenya Well Project, and uh, let's keep raising money for that. It's, it's a slow but steady uh, thing going on. So if you haven't given yet and you're considering giving, giving, Please do that. Uh, please work through it, you know, with your your wife and your family, and see see what works for you. And uh, and you don't have to give fifty bucks. You can give three hundred bucks. Some people have done this. Some people have given three hundred dollars to it. Uh, you can give twenty bucks. Some people have done that as well. Uh, fifty is the ideal number because the amount of listeners we have and the amount of money it's going to cost us. We figure if an average amount of listeners give that much, then we can raise that amount of money. And uh, and again, we don't. Just to remind you, we don't do uh, we don't do this for money. We don't monetize the podcast. We're not crowdfunding here, so I can m- make money off of this. I make my money truck driving, and I'm perfectly happy to do that. I love it. Uh, and so we thought, well, if we if we could monetize the podcast, what could we do with it? Well, we could do something really uh, really great and help somebody uh, drill a well and provide them with fresh water. So please do that and uh, and do it because you know again you think about those those days when. You come home dog tired from work. Well, imagine if you had to haul, you know, ga- five gallon buckets of water for, th- you know, two three hours after that, or before you go to work, if you had to haul two three gallon, you know, two or three uh, five gallon buckets of water so you could take a shower. That would not be good times. Would not be good times, and you'd be worn out all the time. It would be be very hard to be. I would venture to guess that most of us would not be as productive as we are in the United States if we had to do that. So that's the whole point of it. Please give to that fifty dollars. Also, please check us out on KNNA, The Cross in Nebraska. Thanks to the folks up there for putting us on there. They've got a lot of great programming there. Go to our website, uh, laymanstermsradio.org. There's a link to KNNA, The Cross there, and they've got a, a bunch of fantastic program programming. Also, uh, Pirate Christian Radio, we're on there as well. Uh, check us out on Pirate Christian Radio. Got to always, always get that. There's just this visceral, real basic, primal thing that has to come out when I say Pirate Christian Radio. I have to do the R. Anyway, check us out on Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, so what we're going to get into here and what we're going to try to analyze is is what direction is T4G going with this? Uh, with having David Platt give this lecture, uh, you know, what what are they going to do with this? Are they, have they bought into this idea? It's, it's, it's difficult to say. I think a lot of it's out of ignorance. The church tends to be 10 years or so behind the culture and... You know this this kind of this kind of social justice warrioring warrioring can I can I say this um, has been going on for some time and in fact we're probably even more than that behind this whole curve eh, maybe it really it has come to its you know kind of full force in the last five to six years you know where you've got these people just going crazy on college campuses it's it's you know it's a real mess you got this whole thing with Starbucks going on right now it's it's insane I can't I I just was flabbergasted that the the two gentlemen who had the troubles at Starbucks were featured on Good Morning America. I'm going, what, what is going on here? What, what is going on? It's, it's a very strange time. 
uh, but the but the church is behind on these things. And then when they get presented with this information from these folks, it at first blush it, it makes sense. But the thing of it is, is most people I'm convinced don't know what people are talking about when they say you need to join the social justice cause. Most people think we're fighting racism. We're doing a good thing. They don't realize what's behind it. And I don't think Platt, and I certainly don't think Together for the Gospel understand what's behind it, what the motivations are, and where it leads. And we're going to talk about all that. So let's get to it. Here is David Platt with Let Justice Roll Down Like Waters, Racism and Our Need for Repentance. As pastors of churches, of worshiping communities, as pastors of people who gather every single week to sing our songs and give our offerings to God above us, have we been, or are we now, slow to speak and work against racial injustice around us? Now, as I ask that question, I need to make a couple of caveats. One, in speaking specifically about racial injustice, I'm by no means saying that's the only injustice in the world. But it is the injustice I'm applying this text to tonight. Second, more specifically, I'm applying this text to the historic and current injustice associated with the white-black divide in the United States, which is not the only kind of racial injustice. The church I have the honor of serving has over 106 different nations represented in it, 106 different ethnicities who face hundreds of unique challenges. And pastorally, I, we can't ignore those challenges. Yet tonight, I'm considering particular injustice among white-black relationships in our culture. So with those caveats, I'll ask the question again. As pastors of churches, of worshiping communities who gather together with our congregations every week to sing our songs and give our offerings to God above us, have we been or are we now slow to speak and work against racial injustice around us? And I am convinced the answer to that question is a resounding Yes. Okay. If what he's saying, so let's back up a minute. Let's define injustice according to social justice advocates. Now, again, I went to the Claremont School of Theology. We were taught about this. We were trained in it. We participated in it. When we talked about working against injustice or working for justice, what we were talking about was achieving a situation where there was a quality of outcomes among all groups. That's what we were shooting for. So for instance, I drive trucks for a living and I make a certain income. Compared to the single mother with three children in an inner city, are we making the same income? If not, that, that, is, that is unjust. That should not be happening according to social just, justice advocates. When they're talking about justice, that's what they mean. The, the woman, the single mother with the three children in the inner city should be making the same income I am. She should be, have the same housing, should have the same access to health care, food, clothing, etc. The outcomes should be equal. And as long as those outcomes are unequal, 
then there's not justice. And we have to work in order to achieve justice. Now, what I didn't, what I should have realized right off the bat at Clarence, it took me a while to get there, but I finally got there. What I, what finally, I mean, I think somebody just told me this. What this is going for is is breaking down our system of economics and our government. Maybe not so much the government. The government's pretty close to being there, but definitely breaking down the notion of capitalism. Um, in order to achieve this, it, it has to go. I mean, you're not going to get equality of outcomes in capitalism. It's not going to happen. I mean, you're not going <laughs> to, incidentally, you're not going to get equality of outcomes in socialism either, any, either, but that's a different story. We felt like that if we could get rid of this racist system, which causes such unequal outcomes, um, and institute something like a socialist or a Marxist program, that we could we could solve these problems, and we work to look toward those ends. And so, working toward justice or working against injustice, for instance, meant this: we would advocate for or help uh, illegal Mexi- Mexicans immigrate into Southern California. Not so much as to help their situation, although that was there. Now, a lot a lot of us thought that you know. We weren't even thinking on a deep level about this. We weren't thinking very in a very sophisticated way about these things. We were thinking, hey, we're helping these poor people come here where they can make money and make a living. A lot of us. And we thought that that was a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, the re- uh, we also knew that if we could bring these people in and get them on our system, that it would put strains on the system. So in other words, if somebody if somebody moved into your home and they didn't work, and all they did was eat your food and and reap the benefits of uh, of living in your house, uh, or maybe they worked, but they didn't contribute to the rent or the food or anything else. Um, eventually, your household would break down. You wouldn't be able to afford to have them there. See, and that was the theory behind it: is if if we can bring these people in, put strains on the system, then the system itself will will collapse, and we can replace it with another system that's more equitable. That was the game plan. That's working for justice. Now, I would agree with David Platt that most American pastors, white pastors in particular, I'd say conservative pastors, I wouldn't even put a race on it. I would say evangelical, Bible-believing, orthodox pastors aren't going to sign up for something like that. And if Platt is accusing these pastors of not signing on to the modern-day social justice, social advocacy um, agenda, that they ought to take issue with that. They ought to take issue with that. Because, again, as I outlined, that's what it, you know, what it means to work for justice is just what I outlined there. You are part of an agenda that is looking to subvert the American project, period. And that means you're, you're eventually going to subvert the church. Because as we know, if they're shooting for Marxism, there will not be religion. Religion is out. The only reason it's convenient uh, for people to evoke religion in these situations is because they can appeal to the sympathies of religious people, and it tends to work. It tends to get more bodies on their side. So they'll appeal to a passage like this passage in Amos and say, justice is this. Well, <laughs> The, the definition of justice I gave you, I think any good, 
honest biblical exegete would say that does not comport with what Amos is talking about when it, when it comes to justice. It's, it's just not. And I'll show you more what I'm talking about as we go on here. Let's, let's kind of get into this a bit more. In fact, I'm about to make a broad statement, which I know is dangerous because 12,000 of you have lived 12,000 different lives with 12,000 different experiences. But on a whole, pastors in America and the churches we lead, instead of bridging the racial divide in our country, have historically widened and are currently widening the racial divide in our country. Okay, so and then my question would be, if his definition of justice is the is the one I gave, uh, the Marxist version, the postmodern version. See, again, go go back to the postmoderns. We talked we've talked about them many times, where their aim is to subvert the system, and you know their goal is to, is to have an egalitarian utopia. Remember those words. I think I I should get credit for coining that phrase. the The goal of postmoderns is to subvert current systems of power in order to achieve an egalitarian utopia. That's their aim. And it's essentially Marxism, or some version of it. All right. And we'll talk more about what the problems are with Marxism, which you should already know. We've talked about that before. But but the thing of it is, is if, if we are using that definition of justice, then Platt is right. American pastors, especially Orthodox, Bible-believing pastors, who are not engaging in this kind of quote-unquote social justice, and I, and I would not term it as social justice, I would in fact call it uh, revolution or rebellion, um, uh, and, and, and then he's going on to say that this is widening the, the racial gap, uh, that's true. That is true, because most pastors I know are not engaged in, in social justice warrioring. They're not. Um, my, my church is... Uh, fairly diverse place and we're super conservative but we don't do the social justice warrior thing there we don't we don't protest immigration laws we're not we're not into politics there we're into teaching the gospel to people we're into baptizing preaching the word and administering the lord's supper that's what we're into there so if by doing that and not contributing and not participating in what I've just defined as justice, then he's right. We are, according to his definitions, we are contributing to the racial divide. Now, he's going to put a twist on this later, which I actually like. And he's going to do a critique. We may or may not get to it this week. This is going to take two weeks to cover this. It's an important topic. He may or, he, He's going to put a twist on this later, which makes some sense, and, and we'll get into that when, when we get there. Okay, but, uh, but for now, let's go on. Pastors in America and the churches we lead, instead of bridging the racial divide in our country, have historically widened and are currently widening the racial divide in our country. Now, I know that's a bold statement, but I want to show you in the next few minutes that this is not my opinion. This is a fact. All right, now that's a sleight of hand. He's not going to show us that it's a fact that pastors are widening the racial divide in the country. He's going to cite some statistics, and then he's going to say, well, because these statistics, I mean, he, he's, 
he's making a, a post hoc ergo propter hoc argument here. I like to say that whole thing. Er, post hoc ergo propter hoc. Um, and you can just shorten it to post hoc. He's saying that because we have these problems, these divisions, these disparities between uh, different groups of people, namely white people and black people, therefore, it must be the fault of, at least in part, the fault of American pastors and churches. All right. And he never makes the tie into how this is their fault. How is it that they're contributing to this sort of thing? All right. And he's going to give, you'll see exactly what he does and I'll point it out. But at the same time, I want to show you that this fact does not have to continue. I want to show you in the next few minutes that this can change. That our okay, and by the way, that that is a trick um, that that we would use for to to convince people that hey, there's racism, and you're it's your fault that that it's going on. We would we would posit the notion, and it was a complete post hoc argument, but people don't pick up on this. They, we would posit the notion that there is racism and that you're responsible for it, and then we would cite all of the disparities between the black groups and white groups, the, the socioeconomic disparities, we would cite all of those and say, see, there's racism. That's your fault. But we, but we can't tie the two together. It's, it's, it's impossible to do. And I'll, and I'll talk more about it. Let, let's let him get through his statistics here. Number one, I want to exhort us to look at the reality of racism look at, open our eyes to the reality of racism. Now, I am tempted, was tempted in preparing this, I'm tempted even now, not to use the word racism. Because I know what comes into most people's minds, particularly white people's minds, when we hear the word racism. We immediately think of the extreme. We hear the word racist and we immediately think of a white supremacist marching in Charlottesville or a Klan member marching on the streets of Alabama in 1960, and we think, I'm not a white supremacist, so I'm not racist. In fact, many white people think very few people are racist. We can even start to believe that racism is not really a problem today. It's just the extremes. Individually, we don't think we have any prejudice against someone because of their ethnicity. We think even say that we're colorblind. That it doesn't matter to us if someone is black or white. When the reality is, it does matter in our culture today whether someone is black or white. It does matter. And we need to realize it matters. Okay, so this is his his post hoc error here. Um, He's saying because this is happening, because it matters whether you're black or white in this country, and it does. It does matter. It therefore must be racism. It must be white people being racist. See? That's a that's a post hoc argument. It's a logical fallacy. Um it's 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 uh put in more modern parlance, it's it's um it's a correlation fallacy. Causation does not mean correlation because two things are going on at the same time doesn't mean the two are are, are related so because white people are doing well in the country let's just say for you know to put it crassly because white people are doing well and the black people are doing poorly therefore it must be racism 
right? These two things don't correlate. They, I mean, they might. There might be a correlation. Um, but that it's not necessarily. You have to prove that. You have to show how white people have set up a situation where it's causing the causing black people to do poorly. Now, I would argue that there are those situations, but not what you think they are. And we'll get to them. Use that term. I'm not just referring to the extremes that we often think of. Extremes that help us, particularly those of us who are white, distance ourselves from racism. When I'm using that term, I'm referring to, so here's the definition I'm using. A system could be individual, could be institutional, could be society, societal, a system in which race and specifically as we're talking tonight, black or white skin color, profoundly affects people's economic, political, and social experiences. A system in which race is significant enough to be regularly acknowledged and mentioned. A system of thought, practice, that is ever subtly present among us, in me. Just, just think on the most, not extreme, just on the most simple practical level. Why is it that I would say that Arthur Price is an African-American pastor in Birmingham instead of just saying that he is a pastor in Birmingham? I've never introduced John MacArthur as a Caucasian-American pastor. Okay, so there's a few things there. First of all, um, he's, he's making, an ad, uh, making an ad hominem attack. He's saying that if you say that there is not racism going on in America, um, you're, 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 you're basically making excuses for that if, if you're saying that all racism is are these extremes. You know, white supremacy, the Ku Klux Klan, you know, neo-Nazis. That's, that's racism. If, if you say that, that's just a cover for your own personal racism. Okay, that's an ad hominem attack. That's that's that that that's not that's a, that's an argument that doesn't doesn't prove anything. It's another logical fallacy. Because you can make the argument that if I'm if I am not actively working to oppress black people, I am not a racist. So basically, what he said is that all of us are racists, whether you want to rec- realize it or not. He's just called you a racist for no good reason. It's an ad hominem attack. Um, he's also defined a, right down the line according to social justice warrior advocacy standards, systemic racism. Any system, personal, political, economic, that uh, doesn't produce equal outcomes, essentially is what he's saying, among groups, is racist. So I would like to think that he is speaking out of ignorance on these things, that he's kind of speaking out of school. I mean, he is a pastor. That's how he's trained. And he's trained at um, conservative institutions. I looked at his his bio, um, and you just you don't get a lot of education on this sort of thing. So when it comes across your path, it sounds like something that you should take up, adopt, and you know you, that's what we would do at Claremont. We would quote verses like this one from Amos and tell you that this is what justice should look like. And if you really believe what your Bible says, then you'll be doing this. And what they what they've done is they completely redefined the terms. Um, justice and racism in order to say in order to make their case and people buy into this all the time now I'm, I think Platt has bought into it 
Um, it may be in a sense. Maybe he's bought into it. And maybe, and, and, well, I think he's bought into it for sure, but I don't think he knows what the terms mean. I don't think he, I don't think he understands the implications of what he's proposing here. All right. Doesn't understand the implications. And I'm going to, and I've already laid some of those out in the sense that, you know, what, what social justice advocacy is looking for is a complete overhaul of our system, particularly economically. Governmentally, maybe just needs some tweaks here and there now, like I said, at this point, but, but certainly economically. Right, but what he's talking about is systemic racism. So one, he's making that ominous attack. He's also using the language of, of modern-day social justice advocates, which we call so, lovingly call social justice warriors. He's also making the case that if you refer to a black man who is a pastor as a black pastor, um, that, that that's a form of racism. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> if I were in Madagascar, and I say Madagascar because they've got like 8 million Lutherans over there, literally. I think I think it's the number, last time I checked, was 6 or 8 million. It's, it's a lot. For that little island of Madagascar, a bunch of Lutherans over there. Same thing in Ethiopia, by the way. I mean, Africa is nuts for Luth- for Lutheranism. Kenya, they're, they're going that direction as well. Um, so it's pretty cool. Goes to show you um, what good solid Orthodox uh, liturgical church will do. That was for free. That's on another subject. But anyway, the point being, if I was in Madagascar and I was I was teaching there about you know uh, what's going on in America or whatever, um, there's a good chance they might refer to me as the American or the white guy. Would they be being racist? Probably not. They probably wouldn't be. I mean, they, they would have no ill intent on that. They would. It would just be a, a signifier, you know, a way to identify me because I'm I'm a minority there um and it's in you know if something is is we we define things by differences i mean we do um and there's nothing wrong with that it's not racist to do that see and he's what he's doing he's trying to build this case to show you that that you're unconsciously biased you have an unconscious bias and there's some truth to that but it's not but its roots are not racism see the thing of it is, he he's starting. He's redefining two terms really here: justice and racism. He's redefined justice, as we said, and now he's redefining racism to say that anything that discriminates or identifies somebody else is different. That's not racism. Racism holds a certain animosity to it. There's there's got to be an animus in a person against somebody else because they're different. If he if he called that pastor a black pastor because he had an animus against him and he wanted to you know he wanted to insult him by calling him black, then that would be racist, okay? <laughs> but you know, and, and and the thing of it is, and what he's driving at is this whole unconscious bias thing. That's that's super social justice warrior stuff, where he, they make the same case he's making here is that we're all racist, and if you deny it then that's just another form of your racism. That just evidences your racism. And what they're doing is they're taking this unconscious bias, which is innate in everybody. When we see something different, when we're out and about, it, it, our, our visceral, natural, kind of primal reaction to that is to be afraid of it. So I remember when I was, uh, I was doing a, a youth pastor internship in, in Mississippi, deep south, and I would go into the black neighborhoods and um, the people were very suspicious of me. 
Um, and it, it might have might have been because they'd been mistreated by, by white people. There's a good chance it was. Um, so they're they're judging me based on my skin color, and rightly so because they'd been mistreated by white people before. So there's that. And the second part of it is is that I'm different. And just on a psychological level, when there's somebody outside of your group, when you see something different, it evokes a, a healthy fear in you. So when I'm driving down the road in my truck and I see a huge oversized load coming at me, there's a certain fear that comes in that says, hey, I've got to do something different here in order to keep myself safe. Right? That's not racism. That's self-preservation is what that is. I mean, if, you, if, if, a, if a stranger walked into your house, you would be afraid, and rightly so. You should be afraid. You'd be like, this person is not of my family. They are somebody from outside. You don't know. You don't know what they're doing. What they, they just walked in your house. They didn't ring the doorbell, nothing. They just walked in. You should be afraid. Because more than likely, that person is there to hurt you. You make an immediate uh, judgment call on that. That's what Thomas Sowell calls discrimination 1A. Okay, so, so we discriminate all the time. Let's just get that out there. And, and if you haven't uh, uh, read Thomas Sowell's new book, um, I think it's called Diversity and Discrimination or something. I can't, can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But anyway, you ought to read that book. It's very short, easy read, very straightforward. Thomas Sowell is great. That's, that's why I love him. He's just no nonsense, straight to the point. I'm going to give you my, my stuff straight up. He's great. Um, but, but he calls, so he talks about discrimination. We all discriminate. We do it all the time. Um, d- discrimination one, he calls what he calls discrimination one is good discrimination. We we judge indivi- we judge people uh, at, by individuals. So I meet you, you're black, um, you've got a Harvard law degree, you lecture, you, you're, you're you know whoever you are, you're lecturing all over the United States, these sorts of things. I'm you know, and I'm looking for somebody to come and speak at my school, um, and then I meet the next guy who is. Um, who, who would love to speak at my school, uh, but but he can't. He has no speaking ability whatsoever. He's a white guy, and he works in the you know in the factory, and that's fine. But he's got no public speaking ability. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Thomas Sowell. Okay, I'm gonna say you know, come on, Thomas. You know, if if I need um, you know, if I need something, uh, you know, something welded or repaired, you know, I'm gonna call a welder. We discriminate. So that's discrimination one. We we take people. We look at their qualifications. We we judge them on as individuals. And that's, that's the best form of discrimination. What Soul calls discrimination 1A is we, we look at people and we judge them by what we know of their groups. All right. So, for instance, um, let's, let's take a, a street gang. Let's, like, um, there, there's a gang in, in my – you've probably heard of these. But the, but the MS-13 gang is in my city. I, apparently, I've seen their, their, their tagging all over town. Um, and, if, and if I see, um, you know – five Hispanic guys walking down the street, you know, chucking deuces and they have MS-13 tags on them, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna judge them based on what I know about MS-13, which is they're a brutal street gang. I'm gonna cross the street and get away from those guys because my life might depend on it, see? So we do this sort of thing all the time. It's not, it's not, it has nothing to do with their race. The fact that I cross the street has nothing to do with the fact that they're Hispanic. It has to do with the fact that I know MS-13 our da- uh, gang members are tend to be dangerous, and you don't want to mess with them. Though you know you want to get away from that, okay? So um, you, you know when you come across that, you better watch the heck out. Is the idea, and, and you're that that's an okay form of discrimination. It's not the best. I mean, every one of those guys in the gang might be you know this might be teenagers that are confused, and if I got to know them a little better, that might be fine. But for the moment, 
in order to preserve my life, I'm going to discriminate using what Soul calls discrimination 1A. Then he calls what he calls discrimination 2, which is racism, which is to say, I see a Hispanic guy, I'm going to automatically judge that guy to be dangerous, um, you know, and uh, therefore I'm not going to sell him my car, right? Just because he's Hispanic. Well, you know, I, I'm going to sell my car to a white guy because I don't like Hispanics. That's just, that is racism. That is discrimination based on racism, which is what Soul calls discrimination too, which is bad. And the way he argues in that book is that we rarely see that kind of discrimination. Rarely. We see a lot of discrimination 1A and we call it racism, but it's not. And that, but that's what Pratt, Platt is arguing here. All right. So he's, so all that to say, he's re, redefined two very important terms straight away. Justice, he's redefined it away from its biblical definition. In fact, away from its true definition. Um, and, and really given it the, the social justice advocate definition, the Marxist, postmodernist, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same thing, uh, definition because of the agenda. And then he's redefined racism here. Okay. Um, and, and said, you know, any, you know, even if you use someone's skin color uh, to identify them, that's racist. And I'm, and I'm disputing his definition of racism. And, and again, I, th- I think that it's better to look at racism the way Soul looks at racism in his book. It clarifies things. It gives us answers. And that's really the whole point of this, folks, is if we're really looking for answers, because he's getting ready to, to spout out all, all these statistics. If we really want to solve these problems, we've got to get to the root of them. Okay, let's let him go on. He's just a pastor. So let me paint a picture of our country with an admittedly broad stroke. So I'm not talking about any specific city or community here, but the reality is the facts are. Some of these facts come from a helpful book called Divided by Faith, which is in the bookstore. But the facts are black Americans are much more likely to be unemployed than white Americans. Okay, these are the facts he was talking about before. See, remember what he said? That American pastors are contributing to the divide of blacks and whites in America. And this is a fact. These are his facts. Some of them. He's going to give another one later, which I think is valid. And we're probably not going to get to it this week. But he's going to give one later that I think is valid. Uh, But but these are not valid. These are not facts demonstrating that pastors are contributing to racial divides in the country. All right, just wanted to point that out. The current ratio of two unemployed black people for every one unemployed white person has held pretty constant since 1950. Income inequality between white and black people is close to 50% worse, wider today than it was 40 years ago. African-American babies die at a rate over twice the frequency of white babies. African-American mothers are four times more likely to die in childbirth than white American mothers. Young African-American males are six times more likely to be murdered than are young white American males. We've all heard the black-white disparities in the criminal justice system that have been highlighted over recent years. You put it all together, you look at every study there is, and you will see that white Americans are far more likely than black Americans to get a quality education, to have a high-paying job, and to live in a more affluent neighborhood with less crime. 
Now, I obviously need to stop here and make a couple of caveats. One, I mentioned this is a broad stroke. The last thing I'm trying to do is equate black with poor and uneducated. I trust we all know that is not the case. One of my concerns with even talking about this disparity is to create, is it might create some artificial sense of pity for African Americans that actually contributes more to racism. My point in mentioning this is just to make clear that race, specifically white or black skin color, affects one's life in our country. And the other caveat is, I'm not, I'm not even saying why this disparity exists. We have all kinds of ideas, debates about why it exists. We'll get to that in a minute. For now, I'm just pointing out a disparity exists. We can't deny this. These are not opinions. They are facts. This is not fake news. Okay, so, right. I agree. It's not fake news. But if, uh, so another uh, author I like is uh, Jason Riley, And he wrote a book, Please Stop Helping Us. And his whole point in that book is... Ever since uh, the war on poverty, Johnson's war on poverty, 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 um, the uh, actually the black community, even under Jim Crow and and the and the racism that that um, Platt here is talking about in the fifties, even with the obvious racism, the institutional racism, uh, Jim Crow laws were uh, were institutional racism. They were laws put on the books to suppress blacks. That was their purpose. See, once those were, uh, um, when those were in place, Riley shows um, that statistically the black community was actually rising economically and educationally, even under the Jim Crow laws. And then when the when the war on poverty start, started um, in the '60s, that stopped. Their economic growth and their educational uh, levels of education, opportunities for education, quality of education. That all stopped growing, and and he make now he's making correlations, but he tracks his correlations. He's saying, hey, all of this was going on. The black community, like every other immigrant community, was rising, even though um, they were being discriminated discriminated against. Now, now remember, Asians were discriminated against when they first came here. Um, Irish were discriminated against. Italians were discriminated against. Um, Jews were discriminated against, and still are. Um, you know, all of these groups of people that came from different countries were discriminated against. And through the years, even though they were discriminated against, they rose up and overcame it, and eventually the discrimination went away. But this didn't happen with black people. This is really the thesis of, of Riley's uh, book, Please Stop Helping Us. And I would encourage you to get that. Get Soul's book, get Riley's book, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Both of these are black men, by the way. If you didn't know, Thomas Soul is a black man. So is Jason Riley. All right? So... These statistics he's talking about are true, and he's right to point out that, well, you know, we can debate about why that is, and we can talk about that later, but up to this point, he's talking about racism. He's saying that American pastors uh, are contributing to, to these divides. I, I don't, it, he's not doing a very good job of, uh, be, the, as fair as I can be with him, is that he's doing a really poor job of presenting this information. And then saying, okay, pastors, here's, here's how we can engage with this. Uh, because these things are going on, and they're going on for these reasons. Uh, you know, he needs to, he, he, at very best, he's very, being very unclear as to what his point in bringing these statistics out are. Because so far, he's talked about racism. He's talked about justice. He's used these terms in, in the way that, that I learned when I was at Claremont School of Theology. And so, and, and, and that's really the only conclusion that I can come to, even though he kind of threw in the, the caveat that, well, we really don't know the reasons for this. 
Oh, we don't? I thought that's what you've been talking about the entire time is that you're, you're saying it's because of racism. I mean, yes, it has to do with race, uh, but if you're, if you're translating that into racism, then that's, again, that's the social justice warrior cause. That the system itself is racist. And for us to be a part of it, to perpetuate it, is racist. Okay? Are, are you tracking with me here? Hopefully, hopefully you're getting what I'm saying. What I'm saying is no... <laughs> These, these statistics he cited, yes, they're not fake news, but they are also aren't due to racism. This is the entire point of Riley's book. Same thing with Soul. He's trying to point, every book practically he writes, he's trying to say, look, the reason blacks struggle in America is not because of racism. That, it, that is a small factor at best, especially today. Um, and it's not systemic racism. Let me play you a clip uh, of Larry Elder, another fellow I follow, a black man. Okay, talking about systemic racism, and, and uh, hopefully he can maybe explain it even a little better than I can. So, but you wouldn't not acknowledge that there are some systemic issues. Give, give me an example. G- tell me what you think the most systemic racist issue is. What is it? Well, I would say that because black people in most cases, in many cases, were descendants of slaves, that racism as a as an institution, that it just a certain amount of it just exists. 2015. Give me the most blatant racist example you can come up with right now. um, I think you could probably find evidence that in general, cops are that, that cops are more willing to shoot if the uh, perpetrator is black What's your data than white. What's your basis for saying that? Last year... The- well, look, I know a lot of people would say, look what's going on in Chicago. I, I, I know what they would say. Yeah. I'm talking about what the facts are. 965 people were shot by cops last, last year and killed. 4% of them were white cops shooting unarmed blacks. In, in Chicago in 2011, 21 people were shot and killed by cops. Uh, in 2015, there were seven. Uh, in Chicago, which is a third black, a third white, and a third Hispanic, 70% of the homicides are black on black. Uh, about 40 per month, almost 500 uh, in the year, per year last year in Chicago, and 75% of them are unsolved. Where is the Black Lives Matter on that? The idea that a racist white cop uh, and shooting unarmed black people is a peril to black people is BS. It's yeah. complete and total BS. And, and the reason for these so-called activists saying this is the assumption that racism remains a major problem in America. The media, CNN, especially MSNBC, runs down whenever a black cop shoots somebody, uh, and, it, and it's a, some, some march on Washington. It's ridiculous. Uh, black people, half the homicides in this country are committed by and against black people. Last year, there were 14,000 homicides, not talking about suicides, I'm talking about homicides. Mm-hmm. Um, half of them were black, 96% of them black on black of that 7,000. Where's a black black? Black Lives Matter people on that. So that, there's where you would say that this is purely because of social justice. This Pure, is purely because, because they want ultimately for people to be angry enough to just keep voting Democrat. That's right. That, and that and where's right. where's the evidence of a lack of social justice? When a black uh, suspect is killed by, by a cop, believe me, the media's on it. People are watching it. Uh, and uh, and justice will, will, for the most part, occur. In Baltimore, where Freddie Gray was killed. Uh, Freddie Ray died in a van. I shouldn't say was killed. Died in a van. You have a city that's uh, 45% black. Uh, City council is 100% Democrat. The majority of city council is black. The top cop at the time was was black. The number two cop was black. The majority of the command staff is black. The the mayor is black. Uh, The AG is black. Uh, And yet here we are talking about racism. I mean, it's it's absurd. Okay, that's, that's Larry Elder. Black man. I mean, obviously knows his stuff knows the statistics. 
probably, I would guess, a little better than David Platt, who's a pastor. It's not really his job to, to know these things. Um, so, again, I think he, I, I really hope Platt is just out of school on this because he this this is very dangerous for for to, for together to, for the gospel. Maybe they'll just blow it off and it won't be any big deal. But if they're really going to go down this path, um, and it kind of seemed like this was thematic uh, at th- this year's T4G conference, this is going to cause all kinds of problems because you're going to have people like me who are informed. See, I know this stuff. I'm very passionate about this this topic, and I want to help. I I want to help close those gaps that Platt is talking about. But slapping the label of racism on it all the time is not helpful. In fact, it infuriates people. It would infuriate me. It infuriates me that Platt is is uh, is inferring that I am a racist when I've already told you that the church I go to is probably as ethnic ethnically diverse as the church he goes to. Now we don't have as many people as he has. Has we may not have as many. Uh, ethnic minorities, but probably as a percentage, we're probably just as, as diverse as they are. And he's going to sit there and tell me that I'm still a racist. See, that's offensive. That makes me not want to help. If you want people to help with this, you've got to you've got to speak sense to them. You just can't sit there and call them racist all day long, and then call them a racist because they deny being a racist. That's silly. That gets us nowhere. And that's going to be a problem for together for the gospel if they try to go this route with uh, with being part of a solution. To, uh, to the the racial divides, to to the to these disparities that need to be fixed, but we've got to get down to the root problem. And slapping the label of racism on it is not the way to do it. It's not the way to do it. And we're gonna get to a good part of it, his talk. He really could have given a great talk if he would have gone on his on the other subject. He, he kind of hits, and we're gonna have to hit that next week. But let's see if we can get a little bit more of him in here, and then uh, we'll hit the other topic next week. This is real news. It matters in our country whether or not one is white or black. Now, we don't want it to matter, I don't think. Just why we try to convince ourselves it doesn't matter. We think to ourselves, I don't hold prejudice toward black or white people. I'm not racist, so racism is not my problem. But this is where we need to see that racism is our problem. It's all of our problem. We are immersed in it. Right. See, there, there again, that's, that is not helpful. It's not helpful to sit there and call people racists and not explain to them how it is that they personally are racist, that they hold animosity toward minorities, particularly black people, and are actively working to suppress them. That is racism. He Remember, remember he's redefined the term. And it's not helpful to sit there and call everybody racist when that's not the case. Again, as evidenced by what, what Larry Elder just said, as evidenced by what Jason Riley writes in his book, Please Stop Helping Us. As evidenced by all the work of Thomas Sowell. Um, this is not helpful. What is helpful is when we say, okay, here's a problem. More black people die by murder. Murder is the leading cause of death among black people. I believe that is still true. That's a problem. That's a big problem. We've got to, uh, we've got to try to get to the root of what the problem is. Not just slap the label of racism on. That's one. I've listened to Jason Riley give several lectures on this. It just it, it just infuriates him when people want to slap the label of racism on everything. You know why? Because he knows it's not going to help. If we just slap the label of racism on it, then 
nothing gets done about it. And what does get done about it actually ends up causing more problems than, sol- than it solves. I was thinking about this recently. I hadn't thought about this in decades. But I remember around the time I was in middle school when one of our neighbors put up their house for sale and a black family bought it. And the word got around that housing value was going to plummet as a result. And people started moving. It mattered when a family with black skin moved into my neighborhood. And we might like to think we're past that today, but residential segregation studies continually show. Now, again, this is on a national scale. This may, may not be true for your community, but residential segregations continue, segregation studies continually show that the degree of residential segregation between black people and non-black people is far greater now than between any other two racial groups in the United States. And it's not just in the South. In fact, the farther you get outside the South, the greater percentage you have of African Americans in an area, the greater the level of segregation. Which all leads to the primary picture of racism we need to see before we move on. And this is massive. I believe we in the church want nothing to do with racism. Like, we want this to change. In our hearts as followers of Christ, we want to see an end to racial disparity and division. But despite the best intentions of our hearts, the church today is one of the most segregated institutions in our country. Over 95% of white Americans attend predominantly white churches. Over 90% of African Americans attend predominantly black churches. And I trust we know this didn't happen accidentally or overnight. This has been the case ever since slavery. And the subsequent discrimination white churches showed toward black Christians after the Civil War. And ever since then, so get this, ever since slavery, we as the church in our culture have not only not bridged the racial divide in our country, our churches are right now every single week deepening that divide. Okay, so now this is a point where this is a place where he has a point in a sense. Uh, but I know from study, my study of Jason Riley. Um, he would say, "Yeah, so what?" I mean, I've heard I've heard him actually say something to this effect that the segregation, quote unquote, it a lot of it's due to the fact that people like to stay with their in groups, and this is the same for the black people like to live around people, um, marry people that of that are of their same ethnicity. So what? Let them do it. What are we going to do? Are we going? See, that's the 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 integration, the 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 chaos that ensued. This is one thing that that wears, as near as I can tell, wears Jason Riley's last nerve. The whole idea that the forced integration was something that he is convinced actually hurt the black community in a in a big time way. And so what are we as church people going to do? Are we going to force black people to come to our church? How are we even going to do that? And as we're going to see, we'll cover this next week some more. We're going to see that that um, Platt offers kind of a solution. I actually had a eureka moment on this. I can't wait to share with you um, as far as this sort of thing goes. Because again, I go to a very diverse church and we don't, 
put any, we do nothing to try to make ourselves diverse. Zip, zero, nada. We don't do anything. We just, we'll, we'll talk about it. I think I think you'll find it interesting. But but Riley on this, he's very was you want to when I've seen him get hot under the collar, it's when somebody brings this force integration idea up. He thinks this is one of the worst things that happens uh, that happened to black people uh, in the '60s and '70s is this forced integration idea. Um. Just, just on for a whole host of reasons, which I really don't have too much time to go into now because we are out of time. <laughs> but, but at any rate, um, this is a really misguided talk, and my hope is that Platt is just ignorant. He just doesn't know what he's talking about. He's he's speaking a language that that sounds good, that sounds like it's biblical, but when you peel back the layers, it's. Uh, Marxist-Leninist. That's that's what it is, which leads to Marxist-Stalinism. See, see what what's being asked. We went over all this, and Platt just doesn't understand what's happening here. I hope that's what's going on. If he does, if he's really buying into the whole social justice warrior thing, um, look out, T4G. Look out. Um, I, I, I think they're going to have all kinds of fallout with this. So anyway, so there, there we have that. We'll hit it again next week. But uh, for now, uh, Kenya Well Project, please donate $50. And uh, check us out on KNNA The Cross and Pirate Christian Radio. We'll see you next week. Hey, preacher man, give me the gospel. It brings salvation to those who believe. Hey, preacher man. Christ